Hello, and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris, and this week I'm looking for the best book by Rudyard. <laughs> Rudyard. Good. Rudyard Clip- Kipling. Good. Rudyard <laughs> Kipling. Good, Nick. Good. You can always tell when Nick's never heard of somebody before. <laughs> and to help me, of course, are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. Uh, his name's Rudyard. Rudyard. I'm sure Ian will have some pronunciation notes. Uh, oh, Rudyard Kipling. Uh, my name, though, is Joe whole shoe, not half a shoe, but a whole shoe. Uh, and this week, if you want to read the Buzzing. best short story by Rudyard Kipling, uh, I'm bringing the, I think it has to be his most famous short story, Ricky Ticky Tavi. Nick, it's a story about a mongoose that kills cobras. I, I think you're going to like it a lot. Wow. Good morning, shipmates, Avast and so forth. I'm Captain Ian DeYoung, and this week I read a short story by renowned loser Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> <laughs> The story is called With the Night Mail, colon, a story of 2000 AD. And I'm here to say it gets it gets 2000. I was around for 2000 AD. It gets 2000 AD completely wrong. Oh, Rudyard Kipling, idiot. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, 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 <laughs> and that is... N N I N I G H T M A I L. Correct. Why are you so obsessed? Did you really want it to be a masculine? Well, just a masculine endless spellings. Story? It could be, um, you know. Let's count them down. Let's a, talk sur- a third knight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is a mail carrier? You know, yep. during the day, of course. Or right. maybe it's a, a a medieval knight again. Right. Uh, <laughs> but like, no, it's like, it takes place in the medieval time, but it's yep. at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to do with a male character, like, a um, you know, a sexual, sexually a male. Uh-huh. Um, sure. yep. what are some um, other, you said endless. So what are some, right. Other ones? So it could, we could go back to night with a K. It could be a night again, yep. just a male night. Okay. I feel like you already said that or, one. Like, or can we could, make a matrix for this? Some sort of like uh, mathematical. There's there's not an infinite number of solutions. There's like sixteen or something. Well, right? I think I'm forgetting one of the probably most obvious one. It could be a, a night male. So, Wait, what does that mean? <laughs> like a night male? <laughs> you know. Um. So why yeah. are we doing um a week featuring a terrible terrible person? He's I. He's fine. Oh boy. He's fine. Oh, <laughs> yikes! Let me just read you this. Uh, the first thing that comes up when you say Rudyard Kipling problematic. Uh, Kipling uh, has been uh, um, uh, labeled as a colonialist, a racist, an anti-Semite, a misogynist, a right-wing imperialist, warmonger, and the list goes on. So tell me more again, Joe, about how he's okay. Good guy, huh? I, Okay. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not here to defend Rudyard Kipling. Sound I'm like here to you defend Ricky Ticky Tavi. Um, I don't know. These people, they're products of their time. Like, he was born in colonial India. What's he gonna be like? He's like, oh, Oh, hey, we're really horrible <laughs> and we shouldn't be here. And like the, the essence of my existence probably is incredibly immoral. May, I, maybe. Uh, to answer your question, Nick, the reason we're doing uh, Kipling today, and I just want to point out that his first name was Joseph. So 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, the story un- is unwinding in front of us, unraveling. <laughs> he was born on December 30th. And uh, as we all know, this episode is coming out shortly before December 30th. So Around then, yeah. Happy birthday. Uh, happy birthday, Rudyard Kipling. Renowned loser, Rudyard Kipling. Joseph. Big fan of the show. Joseph yes. Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> I don't know if I want him to be a fan of the show. We can't control who the lit heads are, right? Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry, I just caught that. I was thinking about um, how m- most uh, authors are terrible. Well, yeah. <laughs> and that he just joins the club. Every author yeah, was right. at some point a racist, but yeah, I think I think there's so, this, and we'll talk about him. There's stuff about him um, that particularly sets him apart in terms of being grody. Oh, extra grody. Right. Like every author was at some point a racist, but Rudyard Kipling was at all oh, points right. a racist. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. When we eventually update the intro in, you know, like 13 or 14 years, uh, maybe we'll just put that in. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Um, well, welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, a strongly, strongly podcast, podcast, where every week we pick a theme and Ian and Joe... Ian and Joe and bring a book. Ian and Joe bring a book uh, and we battle it out and pick a winner just to piss one of them off. And so. And you know what, folks? Every week, yeah. it, every week that we had to have a competition, it does work. One of us mm-hmm. leaves here enraged. <laughs> we try not to care. We really do. Like we, we go in with the mindset every week. It's like, look, it's all no big it's all for fun. Doesn't matter if I lose this week. But then when I go upstairs and my wife asks me if I won or not, I, I just feel the shame. I feel the shame and the eyes. Litheads, you may know that I recently, um, well, and by recently, I mean uh, nearly a year ago, welcomed my first, uh, first child into the world, uh, my son. And, and he has a look of I want to say it's disappointment tinged with regret when I do come out and I tell him that I've lost. So, mm-hmm. Ian, so so your son is a year old. Close. Yeah. Uh, we've been doing this show for more than a year. Yeah. So I guess the question is, who do you love more? Who do more? you love more? Do, yeah. Who do you love more? Well, do you love Freddie or do you love uh, us? And uh, you don't know. Yeah. And don't and don't answer. Uh, no, definitely answer. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> I will say that you and he. You guys, uh, the show and him different. have given me, it. have brought me the same amount of income. <laughs> <laughs> Negative. No, Negative. Yeah, we've lost you money for sure. <laughs> How's his OnlyFans going? <laughs> okay. Horrifying. On that note, um, uh, well, I don't know anything about this author. I don't know anything about these books. The shock continues. Um, <laughs> Joe, do you want to take 30 seconds well, and tell hang me on. what? Hang on. Oh, hang on. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, For what? Like I, just, I set you up perfectly by saying we don't make the rules, and then you didn't give us any rules. Oh, I didn't talk about the rules. Ian threw the alley oop, and Nick uh, airballed. It, that's a basketball. That's well, basketball. Week. Despite the ever-ending attempt for distraction, we do have show rules. Uh, rule number one: only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen. But for these books, tear it up. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rule number. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joseph. Omit needless words, Joe. Um, And rule number three, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing that matters here to Ian and Joe. So, so Joe. 
Yes. Take 30 seconds. All right, Nick. I got to tell you a lot about snakes. Nick, do you know that snakes are responsible for 1 million deaths in India in the past 20 years? And that in some areas, you have about a 1 in 100 chance of dying of a snake bite before you get to 70? That's going to be really important yeah. because if you don't hate snakes going into my short story, Ricky Ticky Tabby is going to read kind of like a villain as he mm. methodically works his way through the garden, killing every snake that he finds. <laughs> Nick, Ricky Ticky Tabby, Rudyard Kipling, most famous story. It's about a mongoose. Cool. Mm-hmm. So a mongoose bashes snakes. All right, Ian, yeah, 30 seconds. Awesome. Um, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm hung up on the fact that the mongoose is like St. Patrick driving all the snakes out of Ireland. Right. The story I read this week, Rudyard Kipling's With the Night Mail, dares to ask the innovative question, what if blimps were incredibly fast? (laughs) This is one of the two science fiction stories that Kipling wrote, and it's like nothing I've ever read, complete with daring rescues, lightning storms, and high-altitude hospitals. It's surprisingly a not-racist story, but again, its author, Rudyard Kipling, was totally a racist. Yeah, he, and then he was, yeah, but he was. Great. Well, uh, here's the thing. Ricky Ticky Tavi, I've at least heard of it. So Joseph, let's start there. Uh, let's, let's start with a nice solid foundation of, um, snakes. Love it. All right. I feel like, hang on. If you built a, I'm just, what if you built a house? A floor of snakes. Out of snakes. I feel like it would not go well. It'd be a dangerous house. That's That was the, the fourth pig, but he did not make it. (laughs) <laughs> he, did, he didn't even make it to the wolf. The snakes nope. ate him immediately. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> All right, Nick, I'm going to give you a little bit of um, good, wholesome background uh, about Rudyard Kipling, and I'm sure Ian's going to come in and um, have some things to say. Uh, Rudyard Kipling was British. He was born in India. Uh, His dad was a sculptor and pottery designer, and his mom was a McDonald girl, which... uh, didn't mean anything to me. Sorry, but is that like a Red Bull girl? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she wore clown makeup. Um, you wore a lot of yellow and red. Yeah, okay. McDonald's girl. No, her last name was McDonald. And apparently it was like these th- four. <laughs> <laughs> by, the, by that token, I would okay. say that when I married my wife, she was an Oxner woman. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, well. Okay, these girls have their own Wikipedia page. I had never heard of them before this week, uh, but apparently there were four girls that were really famous for uh, getting incredibly good marriages for themselves, right? Like it was four girls and they all married like dukes and lords. Um, Like Rudyard Kipling's cousin was prime minister of England three times. Like it was high, high, high class, high status. The same cousin? The same cousin. That also confused me. <laughs> okay. Like in a row. He was just the... They're weird about their prime ministers. They just kind of pop in and out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's, Ian. It's not so much of a commitment. <laughs> okay, anyway. Like, if, if they hate their prime minister, they can say, yeah, we want to have an election now. It doesn't have yeah. to be every four years, so... Right. Huh. But then, like, but then like, sometimes if they want to switch parties, if their old guy is still in charge of the other party, he just becomes prime minister again. Right. I, yeah. I do wish, I mean, not to get all political, you guys, and we're not, we're not going to do much political stuff this episode at all. I know. Right, right, I do right. wish that in America, we could just be like, yeah, I hate everything. Can we elect a new batch? <laughs> Can we start over? Start I like over. the rule could be, you're not currently allowed to be in office. If you are in office right now, you can't be reelected. I think it'd be amazing. Anyway. 
back to the prime minister. Absolutely. But well, he is not prime. I want to be very clear. His the cousin was prime the minister, prime minister. Right. Yes. Um, he he lived in a boarding house from the ages of five to 11. Like, I guess it was customary for parents uh, that were living in India, like Anglican parents living in India to send their children back to the motherland, I guess, England to, to be educated. The motherland, he, yeah. The motherland. He lived in a boarding house from um, the time he was five years old until he was 11 years old, and it was dismal. Um, he, he wrote later in his life that he says, I've known a certain amount of bullying in my life, but this was calculated torture, <laughs> religious as well as scientific, but it made me give attention to the lies that I soon found it necessary to tell. And this, I presume, is the foundation of all of my literary effort. So he basically said, hey, it was torture. I had to lie all the time, but I became a pretty good like liar and creator during that time. They say great, great art comes from trauma, but this literally like he learned how to be a better storyteller because if he didn't, he'd be what beaten, starved. Cool. Okay, so Joe is filling out the backstory on his apologist uh, efforts. <laughs> um, Kipling apologist. So we have now a victim. Um, so okay, cool. Rough upbringing made him the man he is today. Yeah, he really wanted to go to Oxford. Like that would have been the appropriate education for like a man of his stature. Uh, but he wasn't that bright. Like he didn't have the grades <laughs> for an Oxford scholarship and he didn't have the money to go to Oxford without a scholarship. Those are like the two things that yeah, you do need. need. Yeah, You need one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he didn't have either. So he moved to India um, for, for really the first time in his life. He was born there, but then he kind of moved there as a 16 year old okay. and he got a job as an assistant editor of a local newspaper and he took to it. What's the phrase? Like a duck to water, right? Yeah. Like, yes. Sure. He took to it like an Englishman to colonialism. Like an like a duck to water. Like a cousin to uh, the prime minister. Prime minister. Thank <laughs> you. The only other thing I have to say about him is he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature at 42 years old, which I don't know if that sounds impressive or not, but it is the youngest ever to receive that prize. He was also the first English speaker to reserve, uh, to win the prize, which I thought was hmm. interesting. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was cool. Is this guy a good writer? <laughs> He's pretty, I mean, he won a Nobel prize in literature. Well, this is one of the things actually. And, and if we're kind of like, or a good storyteller. Ooh, good question. Obviously he was so well known and appreciated that he won this Nobel prize, um, at 41. And his stuff was everywhere. And ever since then, critics have been pretty split on what to do with him. Because on the one hand, they say, yes, everyone knew him. Everyone like was familiar with him. And his poetry, especially like, you know, Shakespeare is known for coining words. Um, uh, Kipling is known for coining phrases. Um, everyone knows him. But like, is he actually any good? So T.S. Eliot, who is a, a famous American poet who lived in England, um, wrote The Wasteland and other things. Um, he published, he is a fancy, he's like fancy poetry. Um, and he published a collection of Kipling's poetry, which kind of legitimizes this. And, and Eliot says, Kipling has an immense gift for using words, an amazing curiosity and power of observation with his mind and with all his senses. The mask of the entertainer, and beyond that, a queer gift of second sight. 
of transmitting messages from elsewhere, a gift so disconcerting when we are made aware of it, that thenceforth we are never sure when it is not present. And this is the key part. Eliot says, all this makes Kipling a writer impossible wholly to understand and quite impossible to belittle. Now, we absolutely can belittle him. Oh, and people I got a good I'm job ready. <laughs> but I think the idea of like, he is a writer who is impossible to understand is really interesting, especially coming from someone like Eliot, who is really smart and a good reader. So I think I think this is the conundrum of Kipling. Ooh, choose yeah. your own adventure, it sounds like. <laughs> well, it's it's like, what do you actually do with somebody whose politics were obviously terrible, but whose whose work you can't really avoid acknowledging as good? Yeah. It's easy, it's easy with Hitler because Hitler <laughs> both had right. Hitler had bad politics and he was bad at art. Right. Really documented, really bad at art. Yeah. I mean, they kicked him out of school for it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, and like this legacy is, it's still kind of mixed. Like, you know, like more and more we look at him as like a horrible colonialist and that, but like British politicians still recite Rudyard Kipling poetry and speeches. Um, you know, Margaret Thatcher, maybe that's not like the most open minded British politician, but when the, when they were looking at building the UN, like she read this poem, like as a retired prime minister about like this Anglocentrism and like the fervor and like this wonderful legacy that England had as a independent nation. Um, Solomon Rushdie, famous British, I'm sorry, famous Indian writer. Um, he said, Hey, I've never been able to read Kipling very calmly. Like it's every time it's with a man mixture of anger and delight that we right. Indians can read right. Kipling, which is, I mean, it really gets to the contradictions. When you know the person's terrible, it's it's really hard to read that book. But when you find out afterwards, yeah. you can kind of separate it in yeah. some way. And, and I also think like the other thing that makes it hard is like a lot of Kipling stuff is like, like the, the story that I'm going to talk about momentarily here is like lighthearted and fun and for kids. Yeah. yeah. The, the book he brought. Yeah. It's very, it's very accessible. It's very enjoyable. It's very quotable. Um, and it's, I think you're really right, Nick, when you don't go into it kind of prejudging, then when it comes time to, to post judge, you can say, well, dang, I have to balance this now. Whereas when you when you hear about somebody being dreadful beforehand, then you you don't really need to read it. Whether or not that's right, I don't know. But you feel like, oh, this person sucks. I'm not going to read what they have to say. All right, Nick, I have some things to say about mongooses. Mongoose. Uh, can I can we start your can I start your book with a one star review? Absolutely. Yes. Here's a one star review from Alistair. The kill count of 27 was a lot. Would not recommend for kids. Uh, how many snakes? He kills 27 snakes in this book? Alistair needs to read a little bit more closely. He kills 28 snakes in this book. Uh, to be fair, The book is 27 pages long. In the last page, he gets two of them. <laughs> to be fair, he gets like 24 of them all at once. So it's, it's really, um, uh, okay. that's blown out of proportion. So it's not like one page per kill. This is whacking day. It is. It's whacking day. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, Nick, mongooses are natural snake killers. Uh, do you know anything about them? Like, have you, you've heard of Ricky Tiki Tavi. Do you know anything about mongi, mongooses? Uh, by the way, you can say mongooses or mongeese. Both are, both are acceptable. Mm, I, I think mongeese is not, I think it needs to be mongeese. I think this is, this is your shadow rule for the day. We only say <laughs> mongeese be because mongeese is amazing. Yeah. Okay. The mongeese. Um, 
what do I know about mongoose? It really doesn't matter, but um, they <laughs> uh, apparently they kill snakes. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, pretty that's... much all you need to know. Um, yeah, they're they're kind of weasels. They're kind they're about the size of a cat. They have a weasel's head, a weasel's brain. Um, they're fast. They're agile. They're very curious. Um, let me tell you about specifically Ricky Ticky Tavi. That'd be great. Ricky Ticky Tavi is a baby mongoose. Which neck? Oh it's man, pretty, it's pretty cute. Sound, yeah, it could be cute. Yeah. Yeah. He's a baby mongoose. He gets washed out of his mother's den and he's adopted by an English family living in India as a house mongoose. Human? Hu- human. He's adopted by a human family. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm how tracking. They, how I didn't, okay. know that, I didn't know there was people involved. Do you understand? Yes. I thought this was like a uh, an animal story. Oh, okay. So, so it kind of is right. Like, there's in this book, there or in this in this short story, there's animal world. Like, the animals can all talk to each other, and there's like drama between the animals. But then there's also like human world in which the humans talk to each other, and they have Ricky Ticky Tavi. I want to be very clear: the humans and Ricky Ticky Tavi do not talk to each other. Humans do not talk to animals in this book. Oh, good. Thank, thank God. When you say they adopt him, is this like yes. a legal thing? Do they take him to the adoption they station? They fill out the papers. They pay Good. the deposit. Cool, cool, no, cool, cool, cool. no, they find him and they're like, hey, mongooses, mongoose, I'm sorry, shadow rule, mongoose can be tamed and domesticated and make really, really good house pets in India, huh. mostly because they kill snakes. They kill snake good. They kill snakes. And snakes sneak into houses. Snakes bite yeah. you when you sleep. Snakes are very, very dangerous. So this family adopts Ricky Ticky Tavi, this baby mongoose who washed out of his mother's den. As somebody who's had a snake invade their house, um, that does... I, I think you're right, uh, Joe. I think unless you've been face-to-face with a snake... Right. And you hate them... <laughs> <laughs> this might be a tough pill to swallow. Sure. Uh, but I hate snake. So tell me more about how they die. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this, the whole story is pretty much like this progression of Ricky Ticky Tavi is there. He lives in the house. He meets a couple of snakes. The villains are Nag and Nagaina, who are husband and wife cobras, and who Aww. are about to hatch 25 eggs. Um, oh, babies. They're babies. Baby snakes. Oh, God. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Do they make like cute meowing noises? They just say mama and dada a lot. The baby snakes? <laughs> yeah. Mom, mom. I can't I can't say oh, mama as a yeah, snake. Yeah, that's really like, bad. Yeah. That's bad. That's, that's, well, okay. there's not a lot of S's in mama and like I always thought it was weird how there was like the whole snake thing, but then there was somebody named Snape. And right? that was just kind of confusing. Yeah. Like, is he a snake? You know, like, well, I what? think he's supposed to like kind of seem snakeish. Yeah. My sense, my sense of that is so I had long conversations with my English professor in college about how good the names in Harry Potter are, and they mostly oh. are. But my sense is with that one, she just kind of ran out of stuff to do, and she's right. like, I need, ah, shoot, ah, yeah. snail, snail, snark. Snake, Snape, Snape, Snape. I think Snape, she Snape, was yeah. trying to throw us. Well, and it does sound menacing, oh. right? Like it's it's that s and the p, right? Speaking of terrible authors. <laughs> okay, so okay, so the um this 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 um newly adopted sweet sweet precious mongoose sweet is about to mongoose. kill this entire family. Where Absolutely. are Absolutely. That, that's that's kind of the whole story. Is that it? How long is this book? Yeah, yes. Uh, oh, I, I listened to it on audiobook. It was about 30 minutes long. So it's just Holy a little- Holy cow. Yep, okay, it's just a so baby. this is a short story. It's, yeah, a, short it's a short story. story. Kipling Shorts. Kipling Shorts, yes. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. 
Um, okay, so what's the um, uh, overt message here? Yeah, okay, that's a pretty good question because when you read this book, it is just kind of like a kind of compelling, kind of interesting little story where Ricky Ticky Tavi kills the snakes that have invaded the garden, right? Like he <laughs> he kills the daddy snake, um, and then you might think that he kills it's just the mama a slaughter snake for next. the thirty minutes. Okay, <laughs> listen, people, if you like hearing about snakes get murdered straight to death, yep. this is the book for you. Strap in. Some aren't even born yet. Keep going, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I would say most aren't even born yet. The Ooh. majority of the snakes like are not born yet. Twenty five. Well, I don't know that there is like a super overt message here. Like this is a story that comes out of Rudyard Kipling's childhood in India. Um, This is a story that like, it's actually an adoption or an adaptation of an old Indian fable. And I think the message is, hey, snakes are dangerous and you should be careful of them. (laughs) We live in (laughs) India. And if there's a mongoose around, maybe just let him do his thing. Okay. I read, um, I read an interesting. I, I I can I can offer a possibly off base interpretation, which okay. kind of answers the question differently. There's got to be more meanings behind this. No, no more meanings. It's a story about snakes. You've got a <laughs> you've got a native creature, right? You got your your useful little mongoose, um, who ends up being rescued by English people by you know the 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 avatar of the colonel. Colonialism. Here we go. <laughs> well, right. So it's I mean one Eating one babies. One interpretation is like there are good natives and there are bad natives, and you gotta you know make sure you choose the good ones, your your mongoose, because they will protect you from the bad ones who want to kill you and bite your babies and stuff, and and kind of have this animalistic desire to sort of reproduce and take over and have twenty five babies and stuff, um and and recolonize your your garden land, um and I think it maps pretty neatly, maybe for me a little bit too neatly. Uh, it seems like a little bit too much of a slam dunk, but that's one interpretation that says, "Hey, you know, you've got your you get your clueless, clueless outsiders, humans, and you've got your animals who are natives, and choose your animal companion wisely." It's a, it's a straight up fable, right? Like it's a straight up like animal. Is fable. it narrated? Yeah, it's definitely narrated. It's narrated, so they mm. don't have inner dialogue. Nope. <laughs> no, you don't get a lot of inner thoughts. Like it's not from the point of from view of the egg. <laughs> oh, I love the eggs page. <laughs> uh, Joseph. Yes. Thank you for bringing your animal story to us today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? There should be more thank yous on this show. Nick. That's, I like that. That's very, it's very That's uh, a dignified. good point, Ian. Thank you for bringing that to us. Mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. course. Well, now you're overdoing it a little bit, but. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are. This joke is working. Hey guys, I just um, recently watched the new Spider-Man, and oh. um, it got it has a ninety-nine percent on um, Rotten Tomatoes, so it's doing pretty well. Um, but it turns out I'm the one percent, and I thought it sucked. No. <laughs> now, Nick, I've, I have I only it. heard good things about it, but I mm-hmm. do primarily talk to sixteen-year-olds all day, so not right. always the best barometers of culture. Well, perhaps, right. but it had me thinking about movies. Hmm. And good. It's, I mean, and, it's a movie. That's really uh, solid. Um, and then books. Right. And so I was thinking you guys could, um, in in no way relation to Spider-Man, maybe bring some books that are novelizations of movies. Right. So like mm-hmm. as you were watching Spider-Man, you were like, boy, I don't know. I feel like what I really need is this movie in a 350 page version. 
Is that, is that what yeah. was missing? Instead deck? of taking three hours of my time, mm-hmm. I'd like it to take 30. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd love if I could watch this movie for a week. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have any books like that? Uh, I do have um, the novelization of um, a movie which I like quite a bit. It's a movie from the old days, the 1990s. Uh, I would bring um, Terry Bisson's novelization of Luke Besson's film, The Fifth Element. Oh, that's amazing. We'll get more into the lineage and the yeah, episode, folks, I'm sure. Folks, if you want to know, like, are they cousins? Is one of them a prime minister? Just listen <laughs> listen next week and you'll find out. Yeah. And Nick, I, I actually want to bring a novel for a, a writer that we've had before on this show. Um, Nick, I know for a fact that you really like the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. True or false? Yeah, yeah it's, I think it's the, a perfect movie. A perfect movie. Well, Nick, I would like to bring a perfect novelization of a perfect <laughs> movie. Um, I'm bringing 2001, A Space Odyssey, directed by Stanley Kubrick, written by Arthur C. Clarke, a science fiction heavyweight. Yeah. Um, I'm super excited to talk more about it next week. Uh, Ian. Yeah. Tell us about your cousins. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't have a ton to add about Kipling or Clipling or Crippling. The Kipster. Kipmaster. Kipmaster McGee. Um, but, uh, I do want to kind of follow up on, on the, the comments about that was the, the, the quote I read from T.S. Eliot about him, him being impossible to understand. Um, because there, like as as Joe mentioned, there's been this whole sort of critical conversations battle about him. what do we do with him. Um, and some people have said, well, you know, we can totally divorce the art from the artist, and we can enjoy him by himself. But other people say, well, no, that's that's unethical and that's wrong. And, and I don't think this this 15 minutes is the time to litigate that. But um, <laughs> I do want to read a quote from George Orwell. So George Orwell, who famously wrote 1984 and um, other good books. Um, <laughs> And uh, and the arrest and, and, and the arrest. <laughs> oh no! He wrote a he wrote a book called Homage to Catalonia, which is really really good. Uh, it's a good name. It is a good name. He also wrote a book about he wrote a book called Down and Out in Paris and London. I want to say he also wrote Animal Farm, but Down and Out in Paris and London is is kind of like uh, it's cited as one of Anthony Bourdain's influences for oh, cool. um, Kitchen Confidential. Down and Out in Paris and London is like um, him talking about living as sort of a bum or a skis master in. <laughs> Um, Paris and London. Anyway, Orwell, Orwell is this, this well-known, he was very, very like, he, he, he felt his political opinions passionately. He had a lot of disdain for a lot of people. Um, and there was this thing that happened in the 19 late thirties, early forties. Kipling dies in 1936. Um, shortly after the Nazis sort of come to power and Kipling is like, wow, these Nazis are the worst. I condemn them, which is good. Thank you, Kipling for getting that out of the way. Good job, Kipling. But then people were like looking back as as fascism was taking over, not only in, in Nazi Germany, but also in Italy. People were looking back at Kipling and saying, wait, was Kipling actually a fascist? And Orwell says, hey, I know some fascists. I've seen them. I've seen, <laughs> he fought against fascists in the Spanish Civil War. And he says, in review of um, Eliot's edition, he says, Kipling was not a fascist. Um, he was horrible. Uh, and this, this quote kind of lays out his, his perspective. It is no use pretending, says Orwell, that Kipling's view of life as a whole can be accepted or even forgiven by any civilized person. 
It is no use claiming, for instance, that when Kipling describes a British soldier beating a quote N-word with a cleaning rod in order to get money out of him, he is acting merely as a reporter and does not necessarily approve of what he describes. There's not the slightest sign anywhere in Kipling's work that he disapproves of that kind of conduct. On the contrary, there is a definite strain of sadism in him, over and above the brutality which a writer of that type has to have. Kipling is a jingo imperialist. He is morally insensitive and aesthetically disgusting. And then Orwell says this, it is better to start by admitting that and then to try to find out why it is that he survives while the refined people who have laughed at him seem to wear so badly. So he says, yes, Kipling is dreadful. So we need to figure out why people still quote Kipling. Why people still, yeah, (laughs) right. And like this came up again when, when Disney redid the jungle book for the umpteenth time. And, And part of it is that it's in the public domain. They could, but also part of it is like, it's a winsome story. And, what Orwell says, Orwell's solution, he's, he's, it's a long critical essay, and, and I, maybe we can link it um, on social media this week or something, because it's really, really good, but it's super long. Um, Orwell says, basically, there is a class of writer, call, like which he calls bad poets, and they're not like... Like naughty? Yeah. Not, no, no, no. No, not blue. Now, they're not bad at poetry. They're just, they write poetry, which is crap, but it's quotable. It's yeah. very bad, but it's also very popular. Oh, like that one book yeah. that you guys brought. The Alchemist. Like The Alchemist. Yes, <laughs> yes. I think The Alchemist is actually a really good... I mean, obviously, um, Paulo, Paulo Coelho is not as horrible as, as Kipling, uh, quite as bad. But, well, but history I think will tell. It's, <laughs> it's true. It's similar. And I think that's, what, that's the point Orwell is making. There are some things which sort of capture our imagination. I think he would even probably give... Kipling some props because for better or for worse, his bad poetry is good bad poetry. This is this is what Orwell famously says about Kipling. Kipling is a good bad poet. Nobody reads his poetry and says, that's quality poetry. But people do read his poetry and say, I'm going to quote that in a speech. I'm going to write that as the heading for a little chapter in my book. I'm going to, you know. This is going in the PowerPoint. <laughs> well, when and when you read his poetry... Like it's, it's super, it's super catchy. Like it's, yeah. it's rhythmic. It rhymes. Nick, I know how you love a poem that rhymes, right? Like it, they should all rhyme. Yeah. I, I do think that should be table stakes for poetry as well. It might be my most, my most uh, uh, un-English teacher opinion. But yeah, but like it is like catchy hooky poetry. Yeah. You know what I think? What do you think? The, do you these think, people think? don't have to occupy space in my head. Their stories can, but they don't have to. It's yeah. Sure. Who cares sure. about Rudyard Kipling? Yeah, sure. he's, I mean, he's dead. Fan of the show, dead. perhaps. You know, <laughs> I, we don't encourage it. Some some fans of the show we really publicize. We yeah, if he wants to one. listen, I guess that's fine. But. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I, I I tell my students like you don't like they 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 talk about oh the the author means this the author means that I, I say like well the author's dead the author's out of the equation we have <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't know we don't know what they want what we have is the book that they left. And I think what Orwell does nicely is he captures... Well, we know what they wanted. It just doesn't matter because they're dead. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. What Orwell is saying is, yes, he was a sadistic imperialist, morally insensitive. And I love this. The crown of his like list of bad stuff is aesthetically disgusting. Oh, yeah. Orwell. This is the worst (laughs) sin for Orwell. But he says, yeah, we start out there and then we say, okay, what is it that makes him so renowned? And maybe, you know... Is there some value in it? So I think the story I brought this week is 
kind of valuable. I think it's kind of cool. Sure. Um, he wrote he wrote two science fiction stories. Kipling did. Um, he wrote this one, and then he wrote a follow up. And the follow up I didn't read because in the follow up, um, there's been a global plague, and um, <laughs> a bunch of people are dead. And I was like, oh, hey, I don't need the bandwidth. I don't have the bandwidth for that. Before you get going, I'm just going to share something in the chat real quick. Oh, no. Mm. Um, I was getting nervous when you guys send things to the chat. I think Thank just to, to make a visual kind of understanding of where we're going with this. Uh-oh. Okay. There we go. Waiting. <laughs> One second. Um, Nick has sent a picture of a knight. Is this a specific <laughs> knight? Should we know who this is? This is, is the knight mail. This is Frick. the knight in mail. Yeah. I hate this. Chain mail. Good. Well, no, that that is plate mail, Nick. You play Dungeons and Dragons, but he has he, no, has but he has chain mail has, over his ween. Yeah, he does have chain and mail some, over his ween. Uh, presumably to pee. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Like the flap in the boxers. <laughs> presumably, oh, this is the worst. He also has it under his armpit. So let's let's be clear. For deodorant. Um, anyway, now we talked about this so much, we have to post it on our socials <laughs> this week. Possibly. Nick, you better you better say this. Um. So uh, this book, this 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 short story, sorry, um, it is a strange story. It is it is imaginative. Um, some of the criticism I read kind of framed it as this is the sort of thing that um, hard science fiction, old friend of the show, hard sci-fi tries eventually to be. So this is rigorous. He's like, hey, if I'm going to make an argument that blimps are now the fastest mode of air travel, I better... I better defend that. I better like come up with some scientific pseudoscientific explanation of why. Um, is that how he delivers the mail with the blimps? <laughs> Blimp mail. Yeah. They put them on the is blimps. This a post, well, is this a story about the postal service? Hey Ian, what's your book about? Yeah. The story is about the book is the story is about a future world where the mail is delivered by super fast blimps. Amazing. Wait a minute. Are you serious? Yes. That's amazing. Oh my God. Are you, that's, that's okay, I was the, just trying to make fun of your book. That's no, no, this is the story. This is this, the what if that goes, the what if in Kipling's mind is what if male, but in blimps that are okay. super fast. Does he, what's the mechanism to get the mail all the way uh, from the sky to somebody's house? Right. Is there a chute? Do you drop it down the chimney? Well, I don't think little, that, little parachutes. Oh, that's adorable. Tiny Baby envelope parachutes. parachutes. Like that's little gifts. Cute. Most likely it's actually smaller blimps. I would not say oh. it's parachutes. But, oh, so he's but, a fleet of smaller blimps within the large blimp. Oh, of course. Right. That makes sense. Yes. Right. Course. Like like eggs. Driven by like little 20, mongoose. 25 <laughs> eggs. <laughs> now, now the, the blimps the blimps mostly carry the mail like around the world. These are circumnavigating the globe blimps. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, he doesn't really get into how the, the mail gets from from uh, blimp to mailbox. But uh, given the fact that so much of this world is, is air focused, it's probably, it's probably something little tiny drones. <laughs> it's probably something that's for but sure. But the, 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 the kind of the, the follow-up to this is that the mail company uh, basically runs the world. The mail company are the people who control oh. air traffic and also therefore anything pertaining to air traffic this is amazing. This this is literally this is Dune. Like he wrote Dune. No, uh, he, he would, who controls the spice controls like the there's the yeah. mentis and yeah. He who controls the mail controls the world. <laughs> controls the blimps. <laughs> well, I mean it's kind of true, but but also it's it's way better than Dune could ever hope to be. 
Um, I'm just digging in on my anti-Dunes. <laughs> that my can't Dunes be correct. Stuff. There's no way no. this book is better than Dune. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing. I will say this for Dune. At least Dune has kind of a, like a dramatic arc. This story is much less about like, I mean, so in Ricky Tiki Tavi, Kipling is like, dude, we're going to have an epic Mongoose v. Cobra throwdown showdown. Mongoose we'll see v. 27, wins. yes. Um, Mongoose versus Cobra. Who would win? And this is less about Kipling saying male versus the sky. Who would mm-hmm. win? He's not so much. I mean, I guess that's kind of the overall arc, but it's more like Kipling saying, I have this great star- world I would like to yeah. introduce you to. How long yeah. is your book? It's not long. These are these are both shorts, Kipling okay. shorts. This is Kipling shorts. this is I think it clocks in at like 30 40 pages somewhere oh, in there. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. So what's yeah. the what's the premise of the book? You have this man who is just controlling the sky um uh, with his <laughs> mail bots, uh, his egg his egg drops. He's dropping eggs <laughs> of mail all over the world. And Dr. before you Eggman. answer, I'm going to need you to look at the chat one more time. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Nick <laughs> If you could, Nick, I, Nick is photoshopping <laughs> this show live. You've heard of like live blogging. You've heard of live Active tweeting. Photo- yes, Nick is photoshopping it's, live. it's basically that man with <laughs> chain mail underneath his armpits and over his crotch wearing a hat. That's basically all it is. What kind of hat? A, a male, a mailman hat. Of, a mailman of the, hat. Yeah. A de- the design with the, the shiny black brim and so forth. Um, and it's at night. The, the story, the story is le- like I say, the story is less about like, will, will they fight off the pirates and get the mail to the sick child on time? It's, it's more like there, there is a, there is a, our narrator boards a, a ship, a, a dirigible, and he is going to learn about the mail trade. And we learn with him along as he goes. And so there are things like, uh, well, as I mentioned, there is, there are, um, blimps that are crashing, uh, because they're, they were poorly designed and there are blimps that, ran into an electrical storm and got zapped. And um, he has this really beautiful and kind of trippy description of what happens when a, bl- an, 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 uh, a technically it's a dirigible, dirigible, it's hard-sided, so it's got this metal skin. What happens when that... I don't know what that means. Goes through. Uh, blimp is, a blimp is soft. It's got a canvas or cloth um, sure. envelope. Like, think, and think a, a dirigible, you, yeah. dirigible like the Hindenburg um, is... It's got thin metal. I did. I never knew that. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Anyway, uh, so he he this guy is on the the dirigible and he's learning about what it's like, what's up, what it's like. He he sees the um the inner workings. There's this. Uh, Kipling goes to great pains to explain how the blimps work. So yeah. there's uh what is a the special book about. Ian. <laughs> well, okay. Well, do you know what this reminds me of? It sounds like the it sounds like the stories about the world. Like it sounds like like Kipling is like, hey, I want to like I have this world that I want to build. Um, and like this is this is everything that happens in it. This is how the blimps work. This is how the mail works. This is how mm-hmm. the <laughs> This is okay. this is how this is how like in in like he, he said it, he sets this in the year two thousand, completely off base. He's like, Hey, in the future, um, what would advertisements sound like? What would um what would be the popular spectator sports? Um, Love it. what's that? What's that? Uh, a blimp that a, a boat, a, a racing boat that has incorporates part of a blimp so it can raise out of the water as it races around and therefore go faster. You yeah. bet. Um, uh, hospitals where, how do you heal people of tuberculosis and other yeah. respiratory ailments? You put them in blimps that go super high and breathe the quote unquote sterilized air of the upper latitudes so that people 
can get better faster. Yeah. Okay, so he had a pretty good understanding of the future then. Yeah, oh, it seems like it had a lot. Of, do you know what this reminds me of? So um, as as you two know, I ha- I run a Dungeons and Dragons club at the yes. high school where I teach. Yes. And, and there's different kinds of kids that play D&D. And one type of kid is a kid that wants to run a homebrew campaign. Like yes. they don't want to yes. use the stuff out of the book. They want to build their own world. And I have kids, like it, it, it's a huge undertaking, first of all, but I have kids produce like, pages and pages mm-hmm, and pages mm-hmm. of writing that just describe the yeah. world like yeah. it's all they care about there's no characters there's no story it's this is how the markets work and this is who runs the police and this is who's in control like that's this sounds like rudyard kipling has a homebrew campaign do you just immediately give those kids more homework <laughs> I, I, yeah it's like you need to be thinking <laughs> okay. of something else kid yeah. um this is this is um Kind of akin to, I guess, here's your Hobbit, Hobbit fact for the day. Mm-hmm. Tolkien talks about the idea of mythopoeia uh, or mythopoesis, which is basically where you're building. A, the, the focus is so what's underneath the chainmail. It's world building. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's world building. It's it's yeah. the whole point of it is building the mythos of the world. Uh, yep. um, he, he sorry he pre he anticipated um, steampunk. Um, yeah, it does sound right. a little steampunky. Yeah. Well, um, I think he got the idea of extremely fast intercontinental travel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, airplanes. He, yeah. I mean, it's about kind of, airplanes uh, for dirigibles and like, you've got it. Like he envisions a world, which is incredibly interconnected. It is globally interconnected at, a, at an incredible fast rate. So you can get from, you know, point A to point B across the Atlantic, across the Pacific, around the whole world really really fast um he uh he Im- imagines uh powerful lights that can pierce through the clouds and act as um as beacons for the ships the dirigibles to to find and uh some people say oh like those are like lasers he he <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch <laughs> okay well it's not laser week yeah i know i know he, he kind of does a, a good job just uh imagining what the what the world will be like if instead of taking you know ships across the ocean like they were still doing when he wrote this instead of taking extremely dangerous uh creaky rickety airplanes across mm-hmm. uh the the uh ocean as they were starting to do around the time he died he's like what if air travel was super easy and relatively safe and very very fast and he says what would the world be like and you know he gets some things wrong but that's not the point it's fun it's interesting is there some lame moral? No, not really. I think the the cool thing I would say sort of metatextually is that he does something called indirect exposition here. Do you guys know what exposition is? Uh, it's that thing in Spider-Man that keeps happening that's super annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like basically, I, mean, I haven't seen yeah, Spider-Man yet, but basically you know, Bob. <laughs> right, yes, exactly. This reminds me of that one time that you did this exact same thing. <laughs> what I'm yes. saying is a callback. And what what so what he does is he does this the the sort of backhanded or subtle way, which I really really like. It's suggestive. It's building the world through allusion, <clears throat> stray comments. Yeah, um, it's good. It's well, and it's very it's very engaging. It makes you want to say, wait wait wait, what? Tell me more about that. I want to know more more about that. And it's really good author craft. You know, like it's not exactly. heavy handed. It's subtle. You know, it's it's yes. subtle. Well, here's the thing. I've never heard awesome. of world building in 30 pages. It's kind of <laughs> it's pretty bold. 
I think I think obviously there are holes, but I think one of the things is he focuses on world building to the exclusion of story. Like there is not really right. a dramatic, you know, will the snake will the the wrong mongoose kill all the snakes? It's like will he get around the world? I guess fast, super fast. Yes, he will because that's what happens. So they they do that. They get around the world fast because it's a blimp. So here's the thing. Um, obviously, neither of these sound great. Um, what? Ricky Ticky Tab is amazing. <laughs> is it? Yes. Okay, because it sounds like baby murder <laughs> for 30 minutes. They, he only kills 25 eggs. Yeah, Joe, Joe your book seems um, fine. And then, Ian, your book seems like um, fine. I think Ian's would be more fun just because it would make me laugh about male knights. Yeah, sure. But mine does have a mongoose and snakes and action and a plot. So (laughs) Mm, that's true. Yeah, but but in a way, Joe's Joe's book is like a snake invading your home. Joe is bringing snakes into your home. And there is not a single mention of a snake in my in my story. So, but I bring snakes and I bring a snake solution. So I do like action items. Another tough one, guys. Two bangers. One, one episode. That's what we do every week, Litheads. I love it when it's... How could you deny either one of these championed books written by when... such a great guy? <laughs> Ian, you lose. It sounds uh. terrible. <laughs> you, know, you know who does world building super quickly in short stories is Philip K. Dick. He does that very oh. well. That's what it reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Would that be a fair comparison? I would say so. Philip K. Dick and Robert Heinlein. Yeah. Yeah, they they do kind of the similar approach to world building. Yeah. Uh Litheads, if you want to Ricky Ticky Artavi. Um <laughs> uh, Litheads, you can go ahead uh and give us a five star review on iTunes. Uh we love to read what you think about the show as long as it's nice. Um or you could even like give us a really mean review in terms of your words, but still give us five stars. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, that's fine. That would send us apart, but if as long as those stars are lit up <laughs> lit up, then we're good. Um you can also follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are active there. The more active recently, uh great time to hop in and renew your love affair with social media, which is totally not rotting our society to its For very sure, core. Problematic at all. You can take a look at our website where you can find all of these episodes of the, the show to this point. And you, you can also submit a book or a theme. We have a lot of, a lot of books submissions recently, which we haven't gotten to. We pledge, we pledge to you. We're going to get to those um, at some point. Yeah. <laughs> maybe in the new year. Hey, <clears throat> yeah, Joe. Hey, and Litheads, mm-hmm. happy new year. Happy Litheads. new year, Litheads. <clears throat> hey, Joe. Yes. Thank you. Hey, guys, thank you. Nick, thank you. Ian, thank you for your best efforts this week. Um, I want to read a poem. I want to read, read your Kipling poem. And I have a couple that I was oh, kicking no. around. But oh, <laughs> no. Hey, just so you know, yep. I don't even know what he's going to read. I was going, if I had one, I was going to read a satire of Rudyard Kipling's White Man's Burden by a black editor and minister talking about how racist Kipling was and how stupid the white man's well, burden was. Well, I, so, I just plan on reading The White Man's Burden, right? And oh giving my it a little gosh. bit of context. Yeah, it, like I feel like people should know about this. So, Nick. Can I read, can I, can we break the rules a little bit and I read sure. my 
black man's burden afterwards because I would like to hear Joe's quote. I think that's and great. Then Ian's quote. I, as I long that. as he's yep. done having a. I just hate this poem. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. It, okay. So the first time I read this poem, Nick, I, I I was in like a world literature class, and when I read it, I didn't really know who Rudyard Kipling was. Like I knew him as the Jungle Book guy, and I didn't understand. Like I I thought it was satire. Right. Like when I read this book, this poem, it was like so out of touch, so out of tune. I'm like, oh, this must be like a satirical look at like how white people see themselves. And then in the class, it became very clear, like, oh, no, this is what he believed. Like, this is what he thought should happen. Um, He wrote this poem in 1899, and it it was encouragement to the United States as they colonized the Philippines. He was inviting the United States to take up, quote, the burden of being white men and essentially spreading culture to, you know, these these natives. I'm glad. Yeah, this is taking up space on our show. Um, (laughs) Thank you for bringing this, Joe. Uh, So is this like kind of on par with like Mein Kampf or what? What are you reading for us today? (laughs) Yeah, I. I, I, I don't know that it's necessarily Mein Kampf, but it's basically like celebrating colonialism. This is a poem that celebrates colonialism. Okay. And this is from the guy who just won on our podcast. Take it away, Jeff. Yes. Well, he, he was the only one that could have won. All right. Yeah. Um, Rudyard Kipling writes, take up the white man's burden, send oh, forth the God. best he breed. Go send your sons to exile to serve your captives need. To wait in heavy harness on fluttered folk and wild, your new-caught sullen peoples half devil and half child. Take up the white man's burden and patience to abide, to veil the threat of terror and check the show of pride. By open speech and simple a hundred times made plain, to seek another's profit and work another's gain. Take up the white man's burden, reap his old reward, the blame of those ye better, the hate of those ye guard the cry of hosty humor us slowly to the light why brought us thee from bondage our loved egyptian knight take up the white man's burden have done with childish days the lightly proffered laurel the easy ungrudged praise come now to search your manhood through all the thankless years cold edged with dear-bought wisdom the judgment of your peers um which is i I didn't know it was gonna rhyme yeah yeah it all (laughs) rhymes rudyard kipling only man okay Ian, you have a response. Yeah, I do. So when, when Kipling published this, everyone was like, wait, what? I mean, even in 1899, everyone was like, wait, what? <laughs> this is crap. Um, and one of the one of the things uh, that I love about uh, the response is that a bunch of a bunch of people, uh, white people and people of color, um, wrote responses kind of in the same vein. So H.T. Johnson, who is uh, a black man, uh, an African-American, um, an editor uh, of a periodical and also a minister, wrote this poem called The Black Man's Burden. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Ian. Is this going to rhyme? Ah, uh, kind of. All right. <laughs> bit, I'll accept. Yeah, yeah it right. does. Yeah, I just want to know walking in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's an it's an A B C B type rhyme. So, okay. So the alphabet's in it. All right, take it away. Yeah, there is an alphabet. Here we go. The Black Man's Burden. Pile on the Black Man's Burden. Tis nearest at your door. Why heed Long bleeding Cuba or dark Hawaii's shore. Hail ye your fearless armies, which menace feeble folks who fight with clubs and arrows and brook your rifles smoke. Pile on the black man's burden, his wail with laughter drown. You've sealed the red man's problem and will take up the brown. In vain ye seek to end it with bullets, blood, or death. Better by far defend it with honor's holy breath. You're just saying, what if you helped people of color who had a bad time instead of shooting them? I think this, 
Maybe this will put to bed all poetry on this show. <laughs> Maybe this would be a nice exit for us yeah, to just set it aside and never revisit it again. I don't think so. Thank you.